0: This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 99, Why You Should Define Your Fears Instead of Your Goals. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your hosts, Mark Willis and Holly Bach, invite you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity be curious be stable be sane this is not your average financial podcast helping you think different about your money your economy and your future so glad to be with you all today and so glad to be with you holly here in the studio welcome holly
1: Hello, hello. Thank you, Mark.
0: We are ready for another episode, and uh, this is episode 99. Uh, and so, you know, I was just thinking, um, you know, I was looking into some cannabis stock. I was looking into maybe throwing all my money into some Bitcoin. Uh, you know, Holly, I heard about it last week in the news. It's up again, at least as we're recording this. So, you know, why not? Why not? I, I feel like I could just go ahead and throw that. I he- heard somebody at a backyard barbecue talking about, you know, the latest cannabis stock. So, what, you know, why, why wouldn't I do that, right? It just seems like the right way to, you know, build my financial future, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's what everyone's doing, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. And I <laughs> love following the crowd. I mean, that's what this podcast is all about. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, we're, we're going to talk some about this kind of counterintuitive way to Address fears that you might have and how it could even help accelerate you hitting your goals. You know, We have this kind of counterintuitive uh, episode title, why you should define your fears instead of your goals. Well, it's a little bit of a misnomer. We're gonna be talking about how to do some fear setting and goal setting right alongside. So you know, I, I do believe that if you make some financial decision because of what you heard on the news today or because of some backyard barbecue, uh, you're gonna be building your life around things that you cannot control you know so if you're hearing things on social media or your friends at the water cooler at work I'm afraid that you're building not a proper financial plan you're you're honestly you're just reacting emotionally to Wall Street's flavor of the month and that's still very prevalent in our world today in fact it might be even more prevalent today as we're you know exposed regularly to uh, our friends' social media feeds, the exclamation points in our in our friends' financial and social lives, whether it's that best looking burger they just ate, or the 50% return they made on you know some small stock micro stock out in the middle of nowhere, right. Mm-hmm. So uh, being emotionally reactive, I believe, has major, huge implications for your overall financial life. It's a core reason why I believe the Dalbar report, which we've talked about in previous episodes, reveals that the average investor has only earned 3.8% over 30 years in a 100% stock-focused portfolio, 3.8%. I think the stock market indexes have done way better, than, that, more than double that, right? so the real investor returns are cut sometimes in half or more because in part due to emotional reactivity buying and selling at the wrong times if if you are a listener can imagine sort of wall street as one big emotional worldwide roller coaster stocks are up on china hopes stocks are down on china fears i mean who can really make sense of that right it's nothing more than an emotional roller coaster it's all built on things that honestly we just can't control so You know, Holly, you and I meet with folks all the time that feel trapped by Wall Street's abuses. They feel out of control. They're emotionally volatile. As their portfolio rises and falls, they feel great when the market's up. They feel like schmucks when the market tanks. You know, there's just not much more they can do about it. They believe that all they can do is buy and hold on to the rails of of that financial roller coaster. Buy and hold on. Uh, hoping that they don't fly off that roller coaster at the wrong time. Mm -hmm. So there's this old, very old Stoic philosopher way before Wall Street got its start. (laughs) His name is Seneca the Younger, who's quoted as saying, and, and I quote, we suffer more often in imagination than reality. We suffer more often in imagination than reality. Now, when I first read that quote, we suffer more often in imagination than reality, to be honest, I had this feeling that he was sort of critiquing the human condition, that he was sort of pointing out this unfortunate truth in all of us that we're conjuring up, you know, hypothetical dangers, you know, the monster under the bed, you know, all the things, all the drama that goes on in our lives, our social relationships, uh, and that we're f- building up all these sort of hypothetical fears more than we actually experience fear or danger in our actual lifetime, right? The proverbial um, tiger in the tall grass, um, you know, is in our mind more often than in reality. You know, it's sort of like William William Shakespeare writes in Hamlet, cowards die many times before their deaths. The valiant never taste death but once. So how about that? I got two super cool ancient <laughs> quotes in, in one episode here. What are your thoughts here so far, Holly? Yeah,
1: but if we kind of take another look at the quote uh, by Seneca, you know, what if there actually was a benefit, you know, maybe it doesn't have to always be a bad thing to, you know, a benefit to suffering in our imagination. So what if there was, you know, courage to be found in exploring your fears as well? Now you know, certainly don't want to advocate for living in some sort of state of fear or anxiety. I mean, certainly that is not the way to live your life right. already. Too much of that, you know, is going on around in our country and our culture as they kind of promote this anxious way of living life. I mean, just turn on the news and it's, it's literally designed to provoke anxiety in mm-hmm. you. Um, but maybe we can kind of put this quote, you know, on its head a little bit and we used it in another way. You know, we suffer more often in imagination than reality. We use that to our advantage. So what if you could use your imagination to help you in becoming more courageous and in facing your fears instead? So, while it's certainly not something you want to do haphazardly, this can actually be a valuable strategy to help you consider problems and troubles that you're dealing with um, that might be causing those fears or that anxiety. And you can kind of attack it in a systematic way to help you overcome them and help you achieve the goals that you had in mind and that you want you know in your life.
0: Yeah, you're right, Holly. I think most of us live with a I don't wanna say underlying subconscious, uh, low level static noise of anxiety of everything that's happening. You know, It's the worries about your children to worries about the future, to worries about money or your health or your family's health. But if, you, if you're able to train yourself to focus on what you can control in your life and not what you cannot control, immediately, instantly, you begin to focus on those things and you start to feel more in control. And if you could then build some practices around what you can control, you'll start to feel that control exuding from your life. And that's, you know, I think, what, part of what can bring some more emotional stability to your life and help you make better decisions as a result. So when you pay attention to something, it becomes more important to you. Let me say that again. When you pay attention to something, automatically it becomes more important to you. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, how do you, you know, if you're going to pay more attention to things that you cannot control, you're going to feel like the things out of your control are the biggest and most important parts of your life. If you could pay more attention to things you can control, and if you can build practices and systems and habits into your life that encourage you to watch what you can control, it's going to put less attention on things you cannot control and you'll benefit as a result.
1: Yep. And taking action and building habits around what you can control, like you're saying, Mark, will reduce that emotional kind of reactivity um, and give you an advantage in making wise decisions and wise choices for your life rather than just, you know, again, reacting those knee-jerk reactions that we might otherwise have. And this, of course, you know, applies to and includes your financial life, right? So we all know that emotional reactivity is one of the biggest problems for the average investor who's kind of, you know, constantly buying and selling at the wrong times, we you know we talked about in episode ninety seven that emotional reactivity in your financial portfolio can even shorten your lifespan or at the very least increase the risk of heart attacks and disease. I well, mean that's like those are real life um, kind of things that people have gone through due to have living on that emotional roller coaster and in real life health problems you can have as a as a result. So learning how to manage our emotions in the midst of financial volatility might just be one of the, you know, kind of biggest superpowers of, in a way that you can bring to your financial life.
0: Yeah, and you know with regard to your your physical health, the stakes are pretty high. You mm-hmm. know, if you're unable to control your negative emotions, your fears on you know, China uh, hopes or China fears, you know, dropping uh, this stock or that because of what you heard on CNBC last week, you're going to see the markets tanking. You might not only sell at the wrong time, but you have this emotional toll uh, that can be taken out of your health or your relationships. This is, guys, this is the manifestation of the abuses of Wall Street in our physical bodies. That should be made like abundantly clear from the medical journals that we've studied and read on at this point. Uh, the wealth shock, as we talk about in episode 97. So we're talking literally about people's lives here. uh, And we even know a lot of people who've listened to every single one of our podcast episodes. And they've become convinced in their own research that the kind of not your average financial strategies that we talk about on this podcast, like, like the bank on yourself concept, or the income maximization strategy, that they're the real deal and they see the problems of the Wall Street machine, or they see how banks and credit cards and finance companies hold this grip on their financial lives. And yet, and yet, there's still some lingering fear or emotional aversion to making a change in your financial life to leave Egypt, so to speak, you know, to improve where you are right now, that maybe, maybe we don't mm-hmm. want to take that risk uh, and jump over the fence and head out into the wild pastures. We'd rather stay captive to wherever we are today in our financial lives. Maybe it's the fear of looking different to all your friends, family, colleagues. Maybe it's the fear of making one more financial mistake and a long history of financial mistakes. I mm-hmm. hear that a lot, you know. Uh, Whatever the fear might be, there is someone listening to this episode right now who wants to get in a better place financially, but has not yet found the courage to take action. So, by the way, you know, we consider ourselves experts at helping people work through those hesitations and fears and find that courage to act in their own best interest. I mean, I'm not a counselor. I don't play one on the radio or on podcasts. (laughs) Uh, But if you'd like for us to walk through that concept and think through that mindset with you... We'd be honored to be your guide to toward your goals. So, you know, we do believe that the best part of our work is watching other people overcome those challenges and hit their goals, hit achieve their dreams. So, totally love to work with you guys. Reach out to us. Just go to our website, notyouraveragefinancialpodcast.com, and we can jump right into what's what's working for you and what's holding you back toward your financial goals. Just click on uh, request a meeting. Uh, if you've ever had trouble taking that leap even though you know it's the right thing to do, then just click on request a meeting and say hello to us. We'd be happy to uh, find a time that works with your schedule and talk about this sort of thing. So keep listening and we'll talk about a way you can use the fear, the anxiety you might be feeling toward your overall financial benefit. There are a ton of tools out there. I mean, besides just a whole industry of, you know, counselors, therapists, psychologists, there are specific strategies that you can use to help you overcome your fears. And we're gonna talk about just one of those tools today. And it's a writing exercise. Think like a journaling exercise. And it goes clear back to Greek philosophy. And I'm gonna try to say this Latin term here. It's premeditatio (laughs) malorum. Hey, there you go, the $1 word of the day. And what this Latin phrase means is the premeditation of evils. The premeditation of evils and troubles that might lie ahead in your life. In simple terms, this is literally visualizing the worst case scenarios in detail that cause the fear in you to creep back in and keep you from taking action with the aim of overcoming your paralysis, your paralysis and fear. So I believe that just thinking your way through problems doesn't work for me it would end up me taking my fear from one to the next to the next until I'm spiraling in a downward cycle toward an anxious mess. And that's literally what uh, anxiety does. It, it often leads me, I don't know about you, Holly, but it leads me to paralysis.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, anxiety is paralyzing. You know, when you just feel like you don't have any control and there's nothing you can do, then you just Sit there yep. in inaction, mm-hmm. right? So, absolutely. So, many of you may have heard of goal setting, right? I mean, fairly common practice, right? I, I mean, every employer you'll ever work for and every self help book you'll ever read um, is going to tell you to, you know, set goals, and that's the only way to achieve those goals, right? Um, but this tool, in particular, that we want to talk about today, and you Mar- you mentioned Mark is fear setting. So, rather than goal setting. It's fear setting, which sounds funny because you're like, "Oh, I'm gonna set fears," <laughs> mm-hmm. but no, it's not. It's not what the the practice is. So we'll go through it. Um, it's super simple, and like you mentioned, Mark, it's a writing exercise that consists of three pages. Okay, and so we'll include uh, what these pages look like in our show notes for you guys, so you can kind of have an idea. But we'll at least talk you through it as best as possible um, in this episode. So the first page, what you're gonna do, is you're gonna take that very first page of three, you're gonna write at the very top of it, what if I dot, 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 question mark. So what if I dot, dot, dot. So what you're essentially going to do is you're gonna start in one column, you're gonna start listing out, you know, whatever fear um, is causing you anxiety. So what's causing you anxiety? What are you so worried about if, You know what if this happened what if that happened whatever you're putting off it could be you know asking someone out asking for a raise at work or making a financial decision about your future there's obviously any number of applications for things that can cause us fear and anxiety right so the first column on this first page what you want to do is write down all the things you can imagine going wrong so what are those worst case scenarios the worst thing you can imagine happening if you were to take that step if you were to, um, actually move forward with those things that you're putting off. And what you want to do is list about, you know, 10 to 20. I mean, this is a thought exercise and it's meant to stretch you a little bit. So don't just start with, oh, you know, maybe these two things would happen to me. No, like really dive into the fear and what you're really um, worried about and is causing that anxiety mm-hmm. that's preventing you from doing it. Because obviously, there's probably it's probably not just two things, right? I mean, if there's really just two things that are holding you back, you probably would have overcome those by now and done it. There probably are 10 to 20 different things that are all at play that's kind of paralyzing you.
0: That's true. Yeah. And we won't go through all 10 or 20, but I wanted to give you guys an example. You know, if you're not sure, for example, if you're ready to make a specific financial commitment to something like a financial vehicle, such as a bank on yourself type whole life policy, maybe you'd start by just writing out what's causing that fear. For example, maybe one thing you might write, maybe you're afraid of starting your new bank on yourself policy, excitedly telling your friends only to have your work friends or your family uh, mock you, point out some of your flaws in your thinking right? That might be a fear. Or maybe you fear starting a bank on yourself type policy. And then the very next day, the stock market goes on a bull market tear at 18% a year for the next 10 years, right? That's sort of the fear of missing out of the great returns of the stock market FOMO, right? So keep writing that list of fears out as many as you can think of.
1: Yep. And so now next to that, so in our first column there, we have all the things that, you know, we think could go wrong. Now, next to that column, right, what could I do to prevent this fear from happening? Or at least, you know, the very least minimize its impact or likelihood, even just a little bit. So for, you know, the fear of social awkwardness from your friends, for example, you know, maybe you could research testimonials online or read a book about the history of life insurance in the United States the United States. I mean, that's really going to relieve from some fears when you realize it outdates <laughs> most yep. other things in our country. Um, and of course, you know, there's the added bonus that it might put you to sleep. <laughs> yeah, that kind um, of book might. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So if you're having trouble sleeping from all the anxiety, just read a book on life insurance. You'll knock right out. Um, but it might also help to just, you know, review how established life insurance in our country. Um, is and how many wealthy and successful people have made the same financial decision that you know you're considering and how it's worked out for them. Right. Their worst case scenarios didn't come to fruition. Um, and so maybe that wouldn't be the case for you as well. Um, and for the fear of missing out on the stock market games, you know, maybe you allow yourself a little bit of money in the stock market to play around with. Um, so that if you know the market does go on that like incredible bull market for the next 30 years, at least you still have some money in it. Um, but you would put your you know real wealth um, that you want to make sure is going to be secure and there for you no matter what. You can put that in the uh, bank on yourself type you know policy. It oh. doesn't have to be either or.
0: That's awesome. So you're saying I can still put some money in that new burger startup, tech startup that's you know mixing um, soybeans and yoga mats for the yeah. burger meat? Okay, yeah, by great. all
1: means, take awesome. that little extra, put it in, <laughs> Cool. put it in whatever you want. And then that way, you know, if you you do kind of have that also that awkward thing where your friends are, you know, talking about the stock market and what they're currently invested in, you still have, you still have something to uh, contribute. You can say, oh yeah, this is what I've got, you know, some money sitting in they don't have to know how little it is. Yes, yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so you still have kind of something to talk about when that when those sort of topics come up.
0: So you are re- re- referring to the prevention of the worst-case scenario even by a smidgen, even by a little bit. I think that's smart. And then the third step would be to in our fear-setting exercise is to repair. So if that worst-case scenario actually happened, you know, what would you do and you know, how you know, if that actually happened, what could you do to repair the damage? Again, even a little bit. You don't have to completely solve it, but even a little bit, or who could you ask for help? So what could you do to repair the damage even a little bit, or who could you ask for help? So how could you repair your relationships with your friends if they're mocking you for taking up a financial vehicle, uh, or if they pointed out some sort of flaw in your thinking? a fear of social exclusion is super duper real in the human psyche. It can totally paralyze you. You know, it's like a bucket of crabs. If you're in this bucket with all your friends, as soon as you try to crawl out of that bucket, they're going to try to pull you right back down again, right? They'll try to pull you right back into that bucket. If they're truly mocking you, (laughs) maybe they're really not your friends after all. You know, it might be time to find a new group of like-minded individuals. And by the way, we're building a community of financial revolutionaries around here. And so we'd love to have you. We'd love to explore a new way of thinking in your financial future. What about the uh, fear of missing out, Holly?
1: Yeah, so for the fear of missing out, maybe, you know, we can make a plan to use your policies' cash value and loan feature On the policy to invest in the stock market on regular intervals in between market dips and gains so remember when you have a bank on yourself policy the money is liquid and available for any purpose you're not necessarily backing yourself into this you know finite uh, corner as to what you can do with your money. And that includes investing. So as your heart heart desires, you could borrow from the life insurance policy, invest it in the stock market, you know, you believe is ready to go on that tear and you'll reap the rewards of the market gains. And the policy will continue to grow with dividends, giving you an even greater yield than you know, your friends and Mm -hmm. colleagues that are just straight invested Mm -hmm. in the market. So of course, you know, we around here aren't seeing the stock market doing 18% average returns in our data, but it certainly could do 18% in any given year. And if you're ready to, you know, kind of put some money on the table and, and gamble on that, it's your right to do that and it's your cash value.
0: Yeah. And one question to keep in mind on your first page of this exercise is, has anyone in the history of time ever figured out my problem before? Now the answer probably is yes. You know, Chances are we've lived a long time as, as a civilization, the chances are probably likely yes to that question. So on the second page, at the top of that second page, you're gonna write down, what are the benefits of an attempt or partial success? What are the benefits of an attempt or a partial success? So you can see that we're really trying to play up the fears and taking a conservative look at the upside here. So even if you attempted, whatever it is you're considering, might you build some confidence possibly? Might you have some new skills, maybe some new relationships or possibly some new knowledge that you could obtain?
1: Yep, and so that's what page two is all about. Page three then, um, and the final page, and this one is very important, so don't skip it. What is the cost of inaction, of doing nothing? Humans are very good at imagining what could go wrong if you take a new action. For example, we might imagine being ridiculed or even fired if we tried to ask our boss for a raise, but we never really calculate the cost of the status quo either, uh, falling behind on what otherwise could have been earned over our lifetime. So ask yourself, if I avoid this decision, what might my life look like in six months, one year, and three years? Keep your answers very tangible. Also keep your answers very detailed. You know, Think about emotionally, financially, physically, where am I going to be in six months from now? So kind of short term in one year and then also in three years.
0: Yeah, well, that, that brings me to my story a little bit here. You know, For me, when I was trying to decide if I could take this leap, do something totally wild, like starting a bank on yourself type policy to use it to pay off all my student loans, I was skeptical. To be very honest, Holly. I was skeptical. I was afraid. And at at the same time, however, I was also in pain. I was up to my eyeballs in student loan debt. We were surviving the midst of the great recession with, you know, really um, no plan to pay off our debts and really no plan to be debt free. Um, Katrina and I didn't even really have a plan to pay that debt off, except to just shovel as much toward our debts as we possibly could. So it wasn't easy for me to think about the cost of inaction at all. Um, you know, all I could see was this debt in front of me. You know, at first that's all I could see, and the cost of inaction seemed um, out there in the distant future somewhere, right? These monthly payments were keeping all of my attention in the here and now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the choice to stick with the status quo was very compelling. You know, I was going to just focus on the next three to five years and just pay my debts off and be done with them, and. So I almost got stuck in that, right? I almost got stuck in that analysis paralysis. I was staring at the numbers. I was looking at the whole life policy and how it might take us an extra year or so to pay off all of our student loans using the debt snowbank method that we now call today. But I realized that the cost of inaction was a real cost. And losing all that time and money to student loan companies would never be seen again. When I calculated the cost of inaction, of not acting, it literally amounted to a dollar amount, which was you know, not always going to be the case with all of our fears, right? Mm-hmm. But the cost of not acting, of inaction, literally came down to a dollar amount. It would amount to an o- over $200,000 for my wife and I extra that we would not have in our retirement if we decided to stay on our current course of paying our debts off the old-fashioned way. That literally was the cost of inaction for me, not to mention the emotional stress of living paycheck to paycheck to paycheck with only a few pennies in our savings account um, as we shoveled as much as we could toward uh, our student loans. I mean, it just wasn't right. We could not stay in that status quo. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now looking back on things, I can trace my financial success and my professional life as well as my family's financial future for generations to come back to my thought exercises that I went through early on as I was making this decision to start a bank on yourself type policy. I mean, I was afraid. And again, I was skeptical. You would not find someone more focused on the minutiae of the whole life policy as I was considering it uh, than me right? Millions of dollars for me and my family, however, will be given to my family and my future generations as a result of that thought decision and being able to really consider the cost of inaction. So, you know, my thoughts go back all those years ago. Um, You know, I was not as structured as we're laying it out right now. I mean, it was just sort of, you know, considering it with my wife and having conversations with people I trusted. But now we've given you a very straightforward and simple strategy, a thought exercise, that you can basically turn into a couple of journal entries. That might take you a few days. It took me over seven months to wrap my brain around this and to really overcome my analysis paralysis. Mm-hmm. So you know, and we can totally give credit where credit is due. Tim Ferriss, who is a multiple best-selling author, uh, he had a TED talk which we'll include in our show notes that lays out these three pages and clearly helps people walk through his thought exercise with you. Uh, So we thought we'd share that with you as well. So we're sharing this thought exercise with you now because I remember how important it was for me to face my own fears in my own mind that I could overcome so I could make some decisive decisions and put myself in a much better place financially. The benefits that have come from me thinking about those fears and thinking about how to prevent them, and how to repair them, and the cost of inaction, and the review of other people who have faced this fear before, it's been tremendous. Uh, I'd also say that this thought exercise is not going to be some cure-all panacea. It won't solve all of your problems. You know, heck, it might not even really get rid of all of your fears. It might just take some of the edge off. It might take facing your fears, uh, make it a little bit easier for you. So again, uh, one of the favorite quotes that I've heard uh, on this topic from Jersey uh, Gregor- Gregoric, uh is, as I consider facing my fears uh, is, is quote, easy choices, hard life, hard choices, easy life. So again, the quote is easy choices, hard life, hard choices, easy life. You know, we've got hard choices to make. We have to face our fears. You know, if we don't say something that we need to say to somebody, that's gonna be worse off in the long run. The challenges we least want to face are usually the things that we most need to do. So the biggest challenges we face in our life will not be solved with comfortable, easy conversations or decisions, (laughs) whether in your own head or with other people. So ask yourself, what areas of your life would be better suited to defining your fears than in simply just setting your goals? And remember that we suffer more often in imagination than in reality, and you have a bright future ahead of you. So any final thoughts on that, Holly?
1: Yeah, no, I think it um, is a great kind of flip on the traditional way of thinking about things and because um, that's what we do here, right? We take mm-hmm. everything if we we flip it on its head. Um, but I mean, I guess also just, just kind of thinking over it more, I think about um, how it can be kind of used in conjunction with traditional goal setting, though. It doesn't, again, it doesn't right. have to be either or because right. I mean, I could see for myself personally anyways, taking any number one of my goals and, and doing this fear exercise with it right mm-hmm. because oftentimes the you know what we put on our dream boards our future boards whatever you want to call them um, are things that might cause a little bit of fear right maybe that is starting real estate investing maybe that is um, pursuing a different career or maybe it is just you know uh, something as you know simple as is as, uh, asking for a promotion or making more right um, those are oftentimes things that there's fear behind those goals and so so I could kind of see them coexisting on both boards as it were. Um, And so if you could even just take your goals, it's like, hey, this is something I want to achieve in the next year, three years, five years. And you go through this fear setting exercise. And um, I feel like you'll achieve your goals, like you were saying, Mark, at the very beginning, you'll achieve your goals a whole lot faster if you can just cut through that fear in the beginning and realize, okay, now there's no more fear holding me back. So what else could be holding me back? And maybe Mm. then it's, nothing smooth sailing yeah Yeah. so um yeah just kind of some food for thought and that again We don't really believe in too many like either or scenarios, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think it can be they can be used in conjunction in a good healthy balance with each other, both focusing on your goals, but then also making sure you're not totally ignoring the fear and anxiety that might be underneath um, achieving some of those goals.
0: So two action steps uh, to leave you with today: one, think of before this episode ends, pause it, and think of one fear, one thing that you're being held back on. Uh, and then just make an m- write it down mental note or write it down and then do this exercise the next time you've got 10 minutes 50 minutes whatever Uh, The second is actually schedule the time to do the fear setting uh, exercise, otherwise it won't get done. All right, so that's our two little action steps. The final thing I'll mention here is a five-star review. We love hearing from you and um, it helps us know that we're on the right track. And uh, for example, Robert Lehman from legacy-today.com wrote a very kind five-star review. He writes, respectful communication and education that is straightforward and is so very important today more than ever. Uh, Life changes, and so does protecting our money. Uh, Get ahead through knowledge and listen uh, to Mark, Katrina, and Holly. Uh, Thanks again for what has been made available. Respectfully, Bob Lehman. So thank you, Bob, for that uh, very kind review. And for all of your listeners, if you want to shout out from us on our show, take uh, take a moment and leave us a five-star review. All right. So thank you everyone for joining us for this episode. We've got some fun stuff coming up for episode 100 next week. Uh, thanks for joining us for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future.